Okay, so I'm trying to record myself with this microphone stacking books in order to illustrate how big and complex the Bible is, but it's not really working. Uh, and as I'm saying this out loud, I'm realizing that this is a really stupid metaphor anyway. So you know what? I'm just, I'm just going to play a Leonard Cohen song. Your faith was strong, but you needed proof. You saw her bathing on the roof Her beauty and the moonlight overthrew you she So that's part of the second verse of the song Hallelujah by Leonard Cohen. We all know it. It's one of the most famous covered songs in all of music history. And the story here in the second verse is about King David and it comes from the book of Samuel. And it tells the story of King David spying the beautiful woman Bathsheba on the roof, falling in love with her, and ending up marrying her. A lot of other stuff happens too. We'll get to that later. But the point is that so many popular songs, even today, draw from the Bible. It's all around us. I think it was Bono, or maybe it was The Edge, who only half-jokingly said that U2 is the biggest Christian rock band in the world. Because so many of their songs also take place in or quote from the Bible. With or Without You, great song, but it's not about a woman. It's about Jesus. Take a listen. I could do like a whole podcast on my favorite U2 songs. That would be a fun podcast. Okay, I'm getting way off topic. Back to the Jewish. I like to think of studying the Bible as similar to studying Shakespeare. We first read Shakespeare in 7th or 8th grade, and it was like, okay, there's all this weird English, all this slang I don't understand, all these different characters, and I can't figure out what's going on. This is boring. And then we read him again in college and realized that it's all about sex and lust and romance and violence and drama and petty revenge. And suddenly it's like, whoa, this stuff is kind of fun. Still really hard to read. It's like that with the Bible. If you try to look at it all at once, it's overwhelming and intimidating and hard to read. But once you take a step back and look at the big picture of what's going on and understand where you are in the storyline, then the individual stories start to make sense and it gets a lot more interesting. So here we go. I would say to young people that we can do everyone our share to redeem the world. All right, welcome to episode six of Jew Ought to Know. I'm your host, Jason Harris. Just a reminder, I am now on iTunes, which is probably where you're listening to this. So please feel free to subscribe and get new episodes automatically in your feed. And do me a favor. If you're enjoying this podcast, please tell your friends and coworkers and social media networks because I would love to get this out there. This is really fun. So, the Hebrew Bible. First things first, forget the term Old Testament. It is a rough approximation, but the Hebrew Bible and the Old Testament are different, even though they contain a lot of the same books and material. In any way, the Old Testament is a Christian reference to the Hebrew Bible since Christianity developed the New Testament and most obviously the New Testament didn't exist yet when the Hebrew Bible was written. So for our purposes, the Hebrew Bible or just Bible is what we'll use. Forget Old Testament. Okay, so what's in it? The Hebrew Bible consists of 24 books divided into three sections. The first section is the one you are most familiar with, the Torah, which means teaching, and it's also called the Five Books of Moses. 
These are the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The timeline for the Torah runs from creation of the universe to the moment when Moses brought the Israelites right up to the border of the Promised Land called Canaan, today's modern Israel. Most biblical scholars date that event to around 1200 BCE. The Torah, or the five books of Moses, contains all the famous Jewish stories that you know. Adam and Eve, Noah and the Flood, the Jewish forefathers and mothers, slavery in Egypt, Moses and Mount Sinai, the Ten Commandments, the parting of the Red Sea, and on and on and on. In addition to referring to the first five books of the Bible, Torah can also mean the entire Bible itself, or even more broadly, the entire compendium of Jewish law and tradition. In other words, just depending on the context of how you're saying it, Torah could mean anything in the Bible or just something in the first five books. Okay, so that's the first section, the Torah, consisting of five books, and it's primarily oriented around the ancient beginnings of Judaism, Jewish law, and the foundations of our early traditions and holidays. The second section contains eight books, and it's called Nevi'im, or Prophets. This section is primarily historical. It tells a narrative and chronological history of how the Israelites, once Moses led them to the Promised Land, then went about settling in the land, fighting to create their own kingdom, establishing a monarchy, and then weathering various trials and tribulations over hundreds of years. It takes place from around the year 1200 BCE to around the year 500 BCE. You've probably heard some of the stories from here too. Joshua destroying the walls of Jericho, David and Goliath, then David goes on to become king, and also there's a whole bunch of other kings and prophets whose names you may have heard here and there. King Solomon and the prophets Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, and others. The story of Jonah and the whale. Okay, actually, it's just a big fish, but it's here. And this section also tells the story of the destruction of Jerusalem in the year 586 BCE and the exile of the Jews to Babylon. All right, so that's the second section. Finally, there is the third section of 11 books called Ketuvim, or Writings. This section includes the Book of Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Daniel, the Song of Songs, and others. The writings contain a little bit of history, but it's mostly poetry and prose, much of it erotic. Oh, yeah. I know. See, I told you the Bible gets good. Anyway, so those are the three sections of the Hebrew Bible. The five books of Moses, the prophets, and the writings. Each section has an overall theme creation and the origin myths, narrative history, and finally poetry and theology. So the question I always get asked on birthright is, are these stories true? What's true in the Bible? First, as the author Reza Aslan points out, people in the ancient world, he says, did not make a sharp distinction between myth and reality. They were less interested in what actually happened, he writes, than in what it meant. In other words, while our ancestors may have recognized as well as we do that the fact of a man, I don't know, raising his arms to split the Red Sea is probably not literally true, the fundamental message that the act was conveying would be seen as true, and therefore it was accepted. When it comes to the Bible, the facts, such as they are, are a mixed bag. Some things we do have archaeological and textual evidence for. Others are clearly myths, or are even disproven by the archaeology. Others are myths, perhaps, based on real events that the authors of the Bible lifted from other sources to repurpose for the Jewish narrative. 
For instance, the story of Noah and the Flood is the prime example of this, since the story very closely matches an ancient Sumerian tale called the Epic of Gilgamesh. I'll get to it more in an upcoming episode. As we advance through the books of the Bible, there is no definitive archaeological evidence for the Jewish forebears, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebekah, Jacob, Leah, and Rachel, or for Moses and the Exodus from Egypt. There are some circumstantial Egyptian sources and a few unclear references that suggest a people similar to the ancient Hebrews may have been enslaved in Egypt. But there is no real Egyptian account of hundreds of thousands of slaves suddenly picking up stakes and racing off with all the wealth of the pharaohs, as described in the Bible. On the other hand, many scholars point out why would the Israelites construct a myth that they descended from slaves, as opposed to the gods and heroes of other societies, if there wasn't some truth to it. So what things do we know? Well, we know the nation of Israel existed in some capacity in Canaan in ancient times. The earliest mention is from the Merneptah Stele, discovered in Egypt and dating to the reign of King Merneptah in about 1200 BCE. So right around the time of the Exodus. The Stele, a Stele is an inscribed stone, mentions his conquest of various territories, including Israel. The quote is, Israel is laid waste, his seed is not. It's the famous line that brings Israel into the factual realm of history. We also know that King David existed from a stone fragment that was found in Israel in 1993. But we don't know whether his kingdom existed in the same manner as described by the Bible. And in other places, as I mentioned, the archaeological evidence actually disproves stories in the Bible. These few examples illustrate some of the fascinating and frustrating aspects of our Jewish history. There are things that we know in our 21st century understanding of the term. And there are many things that we will likely never know because they cannot be proven. But getting back to Reza Aslan's point, the people who wrote and read the Hebrew Bible weren't interested in these stories as facts. And being able to prove or disprove them didn't have a bearing on whether people believed them or accepted them. This wasn't about factual history. The truth was in the underlying message and what these people, places, and events say about our values, our narrative, and how we view ourselves. That takes us to the overall understanding of what the Hebrew Bible is. If you sat down and read it cover to cover and then sat back and asked yourself, what did I just read? You might conclude that the Hebrew Bible is about three things. It is a narrative history of the Jewish people for one covering our history and origins from the moment of creation up through the era of the biblical writers. But it's also about two other things, humanity's relationship to God and our relationship to each other. The Bible, despite its myths and legends, is very much ground in the world we live in. Its concern is for the here and now. We're not supposed to obey God's laws because it's going to save our souls and get us into the afterlife. The relationship of the Jewish people to God in the Bible informs our ethical and spiritual behavior, both to ourselves and to each other. This covenant that was made at Mount Sinai between God and the Jewish people has real-time consequences, both rewards and punishments. So as we move forward in this podcast, it's important to not only tell the story of what is going on, but also to consider what this story is saying about the Jewish people's understanding of God and how those values inform our relationship to each other. Wait patiently for the Lord, incline and heard my cry. Lift me up out of the pit, out of the clay. That 
was a very simplified understanding of the Bible and what it's all about. And we will get more into the details as we start going down the road and getting into the work itself. So we'll kick off the next episode right from the beginning. Literally, actually, since the first words of the Bible are in the beginning. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Talk to you next time.